Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to TYT's Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence. I'm filling in again for Dr. Richie. And thank you so much for joining us today. We have a lot to cover. And we have the good fortune to have another legal analyst on the show with you today, in addition to myself. That is law and crime analyst Dina Dahl. Thank you so much for joining us, Dina. Thank you for having me. Yes, and I also know it's a big day in part because you have been providing some essential coverage, at least on the TikTok front, as it concerns the whole Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and that there's a verdict awaiting. So if we do get the news, we will share it with you. You do have two legal analysts available to break things down for you. But right now we are gonna go ahead and turn to what's going on in Uvalde, Texas, as we do have updates. And the updates coming out of the massacre last week, well, they're only getting worse. And many are arguing that these newly released details that they're only providing further confirmation that police cannot be trusted and they failed here. So foremost, we've recently learned that the Uvalde Police Department and the school district's police force are no longer cooperating with the Texas Department of Public Safety. That's that entity that is investigating the mass shooting that killed 19 children and two teachers on Tuesday of last week. So ABC News reports on this issue that according to sources, the decision to stop cooperating occurred soon after the director of DPS, Stephen McGraw held a news conference Friday during which he said the delayed police entry into the classroom was the wrong decision and contrary to protocol. And speaking of that news conference last Friday, what we also know is that at least one, at least one crucial detail that was proffered by DPS Director McCraw during that conference was completely and totally inaccurate. Remember this here. We know from video evidence, 1127, the exterior door suspected of what the, where we knew the, the shooter entered, Ramos, was propped open by a teacher. 1128, the suspect vehicle crashes into the ditch, as previously described. The teacher runs to the room 132 to retrieve a phone, and that same teacher walks back to the exit door, and door remains propped open. Now we know that the door wasn't propped open. And this whole effort to blame the teacher for leaving the door open, what that did was allow GOP uh, it essentially opened the door for GOP to make all sorts of excuses to blame everyone for this massacre except for gun and lawmakers who are not providing reasonable, sensible gun control. Again, that door was not propped open at all by that teacher, rather that teacher closed the door. So that police narrative is completely false and we know this per the AP. 
They have now determined that the teacher who has not been identified propped the door open with a rock, but then removed the rock and closed the door when she realized there was a shooter on campus, said Travis Considine. He's the chief communications officer for the Texas Department of Public Safety. And we know this because, well, video evidence confirmed that the teacher was telling the truth. That he or she did not prop open the door. And this individual, as we know, came forward through their lawyer to provide confirmation of this, as well as there was footage from the school. So how the police came to the conclusion that the teacher left the door open and thus Ramos came right in seems to be quite, I don't know, fitting for the police if they want to avoid any kind of accountability for their failure to take action. We also know that there's newly released audio that also confirms that contrary to what law enforcement originally claimed, they actually did know that there were children still alive in those classrooms some 40 minutes after the gunman entered Robb Elementary School and 30 minutes before police actually decided to do anything about the shooter. So some advance warning here as this footage may be upsetting. Dispatch audio telling officers a student is calling from the classroom that the gunman had entered. An ABC News analysis of the video shows that was at approximately 1213. I remember I talked last week about how the New York Times had put out this article largely recounting what police said, which was that when they arrived, most of the children had already been shot dead and there was nothing they can do. And it's a way to absolve the police of their failure to act. When it turns out, no, there were at least eight or nine children that were still alive at that point, yet nothing was done. This continues to show that this law enforcement was not doing their jobs, but also has been misrepresenting the facts. Dina, is that your take of it too? Absolutely. I mean, this story is horrifying on so many levels. But as a mother, the fact that the police did not go in there, and in fact, it was the federal agents who ended up going in there. They disobeyed the police chief's order finally and went in there. And it wasn't the local police officers that actually ended up even going in there. And the fact that they blamed it on the teacher, these poor teachers, what they have had to go through with the pandemic, the fact that their jobs teaching children are now at you know risk for being murdered on a this frequent of a basis and that they didn't do basic investigation. I mean, a police department is known for their investigation. They didn't do basic investigation like look at a video surveillance before accusing a teacher. It's disgusting, like I don't even have words for how badly the police failed in this instance. And it's disgusting how much they're trying to put it on everybody else. I mean, interestingly, they actually, they're, it's hard to hold them legally accountable, police officers. The Supreme Court has found again and again, they don't have a duty to protect us legally under the law. But we have an expectation for them to at least you know, do their job in a more basic way. And this wasn't even a basic way of doing their job. Absolutely, if they are taking 40% of the Evolde municipal budget, they should be at least doing maybe 10% of their job, yet it was nothing done here. And also seeing the story continue to change, I really hope that speaks to various agencies who just take police's word for it, to not go ahead and parrot what they're told from law enforcement. That there may be maybe ulterior motives going on when it comes to actually getting the facts. And you know, despite this readily evolving police narrative of what happened on May 24th, 
the leader is who we wanna focus on right now. That is the officer who was in command there. Well, you know, although he was sworn to protect Uvalde school children, he's continued to thrive. A week after the shooting, he took a new leadership position in town. Check out his photo here. This man is Pete Arendado. That is the Uvalde School District Police Chief. He is the one who made what they're now calling a wrong call by determining that the gunman had transitioned from being an active shooter to a barricaded subject. And well, Arredondo was quietly sworn in yesterday as a member of the Uvalde City Council without any advance notice to media and while not cooperating with the investigation. And meanwhile, the young lives that are lost are being laid to rest, those 19 children. Today, their services for the teacher, Irma Garcia, and a 10 year old named Jose Flores. And those murdered at Robb Elementary School, they are being laid to rest in customized caskets, which it's, it's heartwarming yet heartbreaking at the same time. Look at these photos here. No one should have the job of having to create these caskets for these kids. But there is an incredible gentleman named Trey Ganim and his team at Soulshine Industries. And they are creating personalized caskets for each one of the children based on their interest. Ganim and his team, they met with the grieving parents last week. And they talked to them about what their children really loved and what their interests were. And so now he is building these caskets, working around the clock to have them ready to lay the 19 children to rest. And meanwhile, what do we focus on now? The Justice Department, what they're doing. They announced that it's conducting a review of the Uvalde law enforcement response to the shooting per DOJ spokesman. The Justice Department review aims to provide an independent account of law enforcement actions and responses that day and to identify lessons learned and best practices to help first responders prepare for and respond to active shooter events, said Anthony Conley, the DOJ spokesman. While that is good that there's gonna be some oversight, I don't like what this oversight's doing because there's going to be no penal consequences. There's no investigatory angle to see if there is possibly maybe a pattern of practice of completely in total dereliction of duties. Whether this department is known for not doing its job, something, find a law, find a way to hold these officers accountable for letting these children die. You know, it's like the courts will find legal loopholes every day if not create them. My God, find one now. And I'd love to see a prosecutor even take them through the ringer. And the thing is, I'm not the only one. There are several law enforcement entities out there who are backing this federal probe, even though I believe they should be backing more. But as far as the entities engaged, what we know is that the Combined Law Enforcement Association of Texas, known as CLEAT, they're the largest police union in Texas. And in addition to encouraging Uvalde law enforcement to actually cooperate with the investigation, we definitely also know this. The organization was also sharply critical of the constantly changing narrative of events that has emerged so far. There has been a great deal of false and misleading information in the aftermath of this tragedy. Some of the information came from the very highest levels of government and law enforcement, Cleet said. Sources that Texans once saw as ironclad and completely reliable have now been proven false. Absolutely, what many of us have always been saying in terms of not being able to trust the police and having those narratives be manufactured to fit whatever continues to hold police in their light is now coming to light. And even the unions representing the officers are calling it out, Dina. I mean, it is, we live in the wealthiest 
country and the world and our children are being murdered. And we are doing nothing about it. And if we can allow our children being murdered like this, you know, what's this? What is the rest of it for? What's the rest of our success for? What are the rest of our freedoms for? If we're going to accept that this little child is going to go to school and be murdered, it is not only unlivable, it is unforgivable, it is un American, and our constitutional rights have limits. You know, we've been following that death trial. You can have free speech, but it has limits. We can have rights to gun, but there are limits. Our children have a right to go to school free from gun violence. They have a liberty right, they have a due process right, and government's mandate. It is unlawful to not send your child to school. But if you send them, you take care of them, and we have not done nearly enough to protect our children. Absolutely not enough has been done, and we want to see some action being taken out of Washington. But again, it seems that Biden definitely wants to play this both sides almost. We can negotiate something good when it's clearly the GOP standing in the way. Sticking with Washington and what's going on there, there have been some significant departures. And they've become so pronounced that some black aides have coined the exodus as Blacksit. And that is not to be confused with that messy woman's Blacksit. Yes, stay focused. So what Politico said is that at least 21 black staffers have left the White House since late last year and are planning to leave soon. Some of those who remain say it's no wonder why. They describe a work environment with little support from their superiors and fewer chances for promotion. That sounds like something that many people of color and women face working in particularly the private sector. So it's very unfortunate that that's also seemed to be going on in the public sector. And one of the first big exits that we saw was back in December when Harris's senior advisor and chief spokesperson Simone Sanders pictured here announced her departure to go to MSNBC. Since then Harris senior aides Tina Florney, Ashley Etten and Vincent Evans and public engagement head Cedric Cedric Richmond have also left. Now Politico goes on to list many others who have either left or are planning to leave in the coming weeks. And now that concerns have been raised among outside observers, well, they're pushing for diversification of ranks like Spencer Overton. He was a professor of mine at G Law. And Overton is the president of the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies, which tracks government staff diversity numbers. Now Overton told Politico, quote, I have heard about an exodus of black staffers from the White House, Blacksit, and I am concerned. Black voters accounted for 22% of President Biden's voters in November 2020. It's essential that black staffers are not only recruited to serve in senior, mid-level and junior White House positions, but are also included in major policy and personnel decisions and have opportunities for advancement. That is huge and incredibly important. And as someone who specializes in making workplaces more inclusive and confronting issues like institutionalized racism, sexism and so on, I can tell you that that is absolutely accurate. We need to have representation at all levels. You can't just sprinkle or pepper a few and then keep all the melanated people at the bottom of the ranks. That's just not how it works if you want to have success. Because the reality is you need to start treating black and brown people in your work ranks, much like you treat the white men in the workplace. So they should be everywhere, they should have every opportunity. That's a given. So as much as Biden's efforts, you know, it's definitely nice and all. At the same time, if they're not effective, what are you doing other than wasting our time? Dina. 
Yeah, and there's also, I think, kind of the institutional, like we talked about institutional racism, right? Like redlining and all that kind of stuff. And I think that is here as well, because they, you know, the idea of mentoring, right? There's not enough mentors. That's really how people succeed. And I can relate to that as a woman. You know, I was in a big private law firm and there were really two female partners. Like that's it. And one of them was so gracious to mentor, but it was really just up to whether or not those two can do it. So if there's not enough senior, you know, black um, staffers who can mentor, that makes a big effect. And also to the point that the um, article mentioned how, I mean, government employees get paid a lot less, right? Then White House staffers get paid a lot less. And if they did that same job in the private sector. And some people left because they were getting good opportunities, which is like great for them. But the idea is that if you don't come from generational wealth, you're not able to like stick it out in a job that pays so poorly. It's the idea of like rich people get richer, right? Because they can start their own business because they don't depend on the money of, they can be more entrepreneurial because they are not living paycheck to paycheck. It's that kind of institutional that kind of needs, you know, how do you address that? Because it is very hard to work in a government job and get paid so much less when you can get paid more doing your same job in a private sector. And you know, that's not an easy thing to, to fix. No, it's not, and especially because we know that black and brown people tend to have more student loans than others in part because of generational wealth and the lack thereof. Also, black women are the highest educated demographic in our nation, which means by virtue of that, we are going to have more student loans. And the fact is that if you wanna serve your your country, you also have the education for it. You are disincentivized by virtue of the fact that again, as you mentioned, you are not gonna be paid much, but on top of that, when you are facing glass ceilings, when there are limitations on you because you're a person of color, when you are, you and your voice is not welcomed, valued, respected, and heard, as we say at Jennifer Brown Consulting. And when you just can't seem to rise, yet everyone else gets to rise, it does disincentivize you and it causes this kind of black sit situation. And so hopefully, President Biden is look, listening to the experts and plans to make the changes necessary to ensure that people want to stay, that people do feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. Because we all know that our government will be all the better for it, especially having a White House that clearly and more visibly reflects the nation that it is set to serve. And we will serve up more news stories for you just when we get back. And as Dr. Ritchie says, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable, and I hope you're doing something this evening that includes our Pride Special. That's right, the LGBTQ Pride Special will be tonight. You can join our panel of hosts and guests, including me and John Iderola, also Margaret Cho, Daniel Franzis, a lot of people. We got River Butcher, Plastic Martyr, Jason Carter, Ben Carollo. You've got so many incredible sources of information, including Laverne Cox. And we're celebrating Pride as well as discussing the crucial issues and threats facing the community today. Tune in this evening, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on tyt.com live or on YouTube. Thanks so much for joining us for that in advance. And thank you so much for your comments. Let's go ahead and get to them. So as far as the startling new details on the Uvalde case, well, Mickey C, the silverhead dragon says the coward cops have changed their stories so many times that it will take weeks to unravel their web of lies. They can protest all they want, we know, yep. and. I, Ayalana says, and then she closed it. 
It didn't lock as it should though, but she isn't responsible. That's right, she isn't responsible. And I assume it's a she as well. Um, because it's just sad that she had to hire a lawyer to communicate because they're trying to pin this on her. Warrior Max 2013, kids phones will have pictures and videos. Wait until the parents share, lawyers gonna get them. Let's hope there should be an avenue for accountability here. It definitely is something that needs to happen. As far as the black staffers leaving the White House in mass, Michael Gonzalez says, I'm beginning to think Biden really wants to be a one term president. Yeah, well, I'm actually kind of hoping. But the travel nurse dragon says, hey, Biden, picking Harris as your VP was not supposed to be the end of your commitment to diversity. Absolutely, I wish more people would understand that they can't just hire a bunch of people of color and think that their job is done. No, you have to create an environment that is actually hospitable so that people don't quit in mass, which we're seeing occur right now. And of course, there's always the issue of having way too many Karens at the workplace as we've all known them. And of course, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday. You're gonna feel great, back off. I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Me right now, that Proud Boys are not allowed at this Trump event. I'm telling you right now, any sort of Proud Boys or QAnon Sigma yeah, has to go. All right, so. I, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave. But we were invited. We were invited to be here. I'm gonna walk out. They probably didn't tell you about Proud Boys. We were walking out towards the doors. Okay. So why 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 do I have to walk? Why do I have to walk? Because the front doors are this direction, sir. That's why. No. I mean, like, why, why do Proud Boys have to walk? Well, it's because you can't have any logos or insignia for this event. And the people hosting this event have You're kidding me, right? Because the, the Trump campaign gave us VIP tickets. So you can turn your shirt inside out or you can purchase another shirt. This is really happening. Or you can leave. Yeah, it's really happening. Okay, okay. So can I ask why Proud Boys aren't allowed here? It's the logo, it's the shirt. And I don't make the rules. Sorry. But we're, we're, we're giving you some options. You can is, there, is there a reason why Proud Boys aren't allowed here? It's a private event. They made the rules, man. That's all That's all I could say. But the, the, the actual campaign themselves gave us VIP tickets. So why is it? Why we're can't we? Uh, it's so interesting how that works uh, when people are enforcing rules and those who felt that they were exempt from the rules actually have to face them. Uh, and also seeing that woman officer uh, respond to him, you have to head that way. I really enjoyed that because the whining of why aren't the proud boys allowed here? It's just a nuisance. As for why Trump is suddenly making this concerted effort to distance himself from the Proud Boys is not necessarily something we can fully explain in this moment. But I would like to think it might have to do with the litigation against the Proud Boys in addition to the ongoing prosecutions. But then again, having people around you be prosecuted isn't something that's always kept Trump at bay. So I don't know, what do you think, Dina? Yeah, I have to say this was one of the more satisfying Karen segments we've ever done. Because they feel like they are just besties with Trump, right? Like they can do anything. They can even say our whole democracy is a sham and elections are shams. And you know, they can bring their guns anywhere and take us all over. I mean, it's just atrocious the stuff they say and do. So I was super satisfied to be like, no, you can't wear that shirt and you can't stay in here. And he was shocked that somebody said no to him. I think that it was greed on Trump's part. He's all about making money. He just wanted them to wear Trump. He's all about trademarking the Trump name. He doesn't really care about anything else. The presidency was really just a big sales pitch for him. And he was shocked that he won and he's still making money getting campaign contributions and spending them as they 
they were. So he doesn't care about anything. He just wants his own Trump t-shirt sold. And that proud boy got to see he doesn't really care about them. No, no, and also that there are rules and there are private establishments. And you know, that's something that got me right before the pandemic, where they had no shoes, no shirts, no service. Nobody had a problem with it then, but then all of a sudden, during the pandemic, masks, people had issue. Here, t-shirt, people take issue. No, if you wanna patronize this establishment, you better get right, end of story. Anyway, apparently that was way too much for him to understand. And speaking of patronizing establishments and not getting right, well, there is a white man who was posing as a cop. And he was caught blaming a black spa owner of taking jobs from white people in Dallas, Texas and refusing to leave. Watch this. Please leave. Please leave. I'm gonna look in my, please call the cops. I need you to leave. I need you to leave right now. I'm good. You're good? Get out of my, get out of my, my establishment now. Call the cops. Call the cops. Call them. <laughs> uh, I like the police. You like the police? Yeah, they're nice to me. They're nice to you? I work with the Syrian police force. Oh, so you do colonics and you work with the police force? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Please leave. I'm going to ask We're you. Cool. We're pretty badass. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Why would you still want to be in the presence of someone that ruined your day? Get out. Because I'm wasting your time. Because you enjoy that? Yeah. You have nothing better to do with your life? I don't. Okay. At this point. Okay. Why don't you your, go outside? Your race and your class destroyed my family and my life. My race and my class? Yes. So this is about race and yes. class? What, what race do you think I am? You ruined my life. I my ruined entire your- entire legacy of being a Christian. Okay. And now you're playing it. You see what this is? You're playing You see what this is? You're this playing is energy chess game with an individual who has nothing to do with your class. Sir, I asked you to have a seat and fill out your paperwork. And yet you come in here and you start walking around my business, going through my windows and everything like that, saying that you wanted to take a look at the place. Not cool when I asked you to have a seat. Okay, clearly you could have asked me, hey, can I see around the place and see what other services you offer? But yet you took it into your own hands because you're all high and almighty because you think that you can do that. Yeah, you know? maybe, maybe you could have asked me if I wanted to be a rapper gangster in California. Uh, are you hearing this? Wow, wow. This man is really something special. He's been identified as Levi David Briggs. Now Briggs has had multiple run-ins with the law in Indiana and Colorado. Here are some of his lovely mugshots. And it's very interesting because I'm sure he blames that on black people as well. This man continues to be an embarrassment, make an embarrassment of himself, but also to interfere with someone's day, that spa owner. She spoke about the incident to the Daily Beast and she said this. The spa owner said that the man had an appointment at her spa after arriving half of an hour early. He started checking out the window inside the business, sneaking in and out of rooms that were for employees only and using the restroom with the door wide open, the outlet reported. It was only when the other clients reported getting uncomfortable that the owner decided to cancel his appointment. I gave his refund and after that, that's when he still wasn't wanting to leave. He was also making himself out as a police officer. But of course, police didn't arrive despite the emergency. Emergency call. In a post made on social media, the spa owner claimed that despite the emergency call, the cops failed to arrive on the spot, claiming that the police precinct was located nearby. The woman told the outlet that the cops failed to arrive despite the alert being sent to them. Because I'm a person of color, the system isn't for me, the owner said, it's for others. Ain't that true? Well, I would love to hear that as well from Dallas Police Chief Eduardo Eddie Garcia. 
why he didn't have one of his officers step up and respond to her call. She is a tax paying business owner as well as an individual who was being harassed by this person who was trespassing and wouldn't leave. So I'd love to know why she was not afforded the serving and protecting that I'm sure that they advertise. Dina, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he was so, it was like shocking his racism, you know, kind of talking about maybe the replacement theory. It was hard to follow. Again, I don't understand why people think they're justified to stay in somebody else's private establishment. And then he's talking about race and class. And unfortunately, this happens quite a bit that people feel this way. Maybe people don't always vocalize it, but not only did he feel it, he said it, they recorded it. And yeah, if they should have definitely responded the police. And it's just pretty disgusting when somebody actually feels that way, quite frankly. Yeah, and people often voice it because they have to blame everyone else for their shortcomings in life. And it's just such an unfortunate thing in part because of how much white privilege and male privilege has elevated this gentleman. Yet he still feels that in some way, the people of color, um, women had sure have held him back and held him down. When really, I just wanna hold him as far away from me as possible because he is just disgusting. And I do hope that he is held accountable and the police actually do something since she has footage of him harassing her. And and trespassing. But considering that the Dallas PD wouldn't show up anyways, I do not know that that will necessarily happen. But what will happen is we will bring more news to you when we get back. So as Dr. Richie says, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Richie. And once again, definitely join me tonight for the LGBTQ Pride Special. There are gonna be a lot of amazing voices. You're gonna learn a lot. Tune in 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And let's go ahead and hear what you all have to say about the proud boy male Karen being turned away at the Trump event. Jason Young, 84, said proud boys think they are Trump's brown shirts. That's cute. Uh, Nadius Maximus says Trump gave racist tickets to the event. No surprise, proud boys stand by and stand ready outside. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. As far as a racist man posing as a cop and refusing to leave that spa, Tony W says white man posing as cop again. Yeah, sounds right. Uh, the Queen Mother Dragon says you have no legacy, dude. No one knows who you are, cares about you. Definitely seems to be the case. Locks Demify says or Defia says he's only doing that to a woman, correct? And I am sock, how do you go to a spa angry? That's a really good question. I definitely think that this person was out here terrorizing, making all sorts of nonsense remarks and statements and just trying to get our attention. And speaking of something that has gotten our attention, well, this whole Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, it turns out that the verdict was not reached. And I will go ahead and toss it to Dina Dahl to give us kind of a breakdown of what just went down. Yes, we were all anticipating, they put out the announcement, verdict is in, the lawyers went, Amber Heard is in the courtroom, Johnny Depp is not in the courtroom, the jury filed in. And then sure enough, the attorneys go to the judge and there's a sidebar and the issue is, is that you know they have a verdict form, they have to fill out if they found this statement is defamatory, which of the six statements are defamatory. And then there's the part of how much money is owed to the person who prevails, compensatory. Depp asked for 50, Amber Heard asked for 100. And then they could even award punitive damages if they feel the person should be punished. So evidently, they found somebody to be defamatory, but they didn't decide how much money the person should be awarded. So the judge sent the jury back to fill out that portion of the verdict form. 
And now we just have to decide how long it's going to be for them to determine how much money to award the winner. Yes, and so anybody who's kind of unfamiliar with this, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were married for some time. And after they got divorced, Amber Heard wrote an article in the Washington Post talking about being a victim of domestic violence and to some extent insinuating that it was Johnny Depp. And now he is trying to hold her accountable for alleged or allegations of defamation. But we need the jury to actually decide how much is at play. And with Johnny Depp seeking $50 million, it's so hard to believe that they did not apportion the damages before they came out of that jury room, but I'm sure it's going to just prolong all of the media chaos. And so let's go ahead and turn to something that might be a little bit more important to our government. Let's talk about the GOP's efforts to overturn elections. Yeah, so there was a recording that was obtained by Politico. And what it is doing is shedding light on meetings between the GOP, its operatives and grassroots activists. And the two are reportedly coming together to plan to overturn votes in democratic precincts by installing trained recruits as regular poll workers and putting them in direct contact with party attorneys. This sounds like someone's trying to intimidate voters as far as I'm concerned. And so we have this per political. The plan as outlined by a Republican National Committee staffer in Michigan includes utilizing rules designed to provide political balance among poll workers to install party trained volunteers prepared to challenge voters at Democratic majority polling places. Developing a website to connect those voters to local lawyers and establishing a network of party friendly district attorneys who could intervene to block vote counts at certain precincts. And these recordings, well, they span from the summer of 2021 to May of this year. Yeah, that's right. The GOP is not in any way standing down when it comes to their efforts to overturn lawful elections. And there was an October 5th training and that session was recorded. And there's a gentleman named Matthew Seafried, who's the RNC's election integrity director for Michigan. Well, he can be heard in this recording stressing the importance of getting official designations as poll workers. Now, here he is speaking with GOP activists. We are trying to recruit, truly, it's going to be an army, right? We are going to try to recruit lawyers. We're going to have more lawyers than have ever been recruited because let's be honest, that's where it's going to be fought, right? We're going to have lawyers that work early to build relationships with different judges so that when that happens, we're going to have lawyers that have relationships with the police chiefs in the different areas, with the police officers in the different areas. Legally, it's required to have an equal amount of Republicans to Democrats, right? They stack. At the adjudication computer, and they're supposed to do it at the county board. Yep. But they don't. Right. Well, that's an effort that we're going to. Right now, we're collecting anybody and everybody that is interested specifically to work the 22 elections. And the reason for that is because we want to submit those names. We want to submit those names early to fill those roles. And then they, they legally, they have to give us the list, right? Like they do. They have to send it out to the county clerks. And, or not the county clerks, the county parties. Um, and if we don't do that, we can foil it. It, right? Freedom of Information Act to see who are you're putting in those roles. And if they don't fill them with our people and we have enough time to do the investigations to make to, to find out is this person really a Republican? And these are going to be the investigations that we do to make sure of that. Um, we will file the lawsuits there. Now these recordings of this kind of insidious strategy, it's clear that they are not letting the democratic process play out as it should in terms of voters. And Seafried, he also said that the RNC is gonna hold workshops 
and equip poll workers with a hotline and a website and also keep them in touch with party attorneys on election day. And in a May 2022 training session, he said he'd achieved a goal of set last winter. That's more than 5,600 individuals signing up to be poll workers. And several days ago, he submitted an initial list of far more than 84. 850 names to the Detroit clerk. That's right, he is trying to send his list of poll workers into these Democratic precincts and have those poll workers trained and have the equipment and the knowledge to be able to maybe get in the way of people voting in areas where they generally generally tend to vote for the Democratic Party. Now, when it comes to these poll workers who are on the list, Democrat Janice Winfrey, she serves as Detroit City Clerk. And so she's gonna be bound to pick from the names on the list when it comes to choosing these poll workers. And the list submitted by the party under a local law, it's intended to ensure bipartisan representation of an unbiased team of precinct workers. But it's clear that these GOP operatives are trying to create that biased list. Politico also obtained Zoom tapings of Tim Griffin, this gentleman here, legal counsel of the Amistad Project. Here he is. And the Amistad Project, it's a self-described election integrity group that Rudy Giuliani once portrayed as a partner in the Trump campaign effort to overturn the 2020 election. Now in the recordings, Griffin speaks of building a nationwide network of DAs who are allies and who could stage real-time interventions in local election disputes and how to create a legal trap for Winfrey. Listen for yourself. I mentioned this to you guys, but Janice Winfrey is an elected official. So she's probably what's considered a constitutional officer. And you usually don't want to mess with those people. But Lansing needs the ability to take leaders, pick them up when they're not doing their job, take them out of their position, set them aside, and put somebody in there that will take care of Detroit, will take care of Wayne. I mean, the, the prosecutor in, in Wayne isn't going to prosecute her. The AG Nestle is not going to prosecute her. We're going to all get together from all of our different states in a, a week or two here. And I will bring that question up. I'll say, I mean, I'll say, listen, you know, there's there is a hunger in places like Michigan to have a lawsuit that's bearing fruit, like the Georgia lawsuit. The state bar associations are controlled by the left. The American bar association is controlled by the left. And and, and she's she's not just your regular, as you guys know, Democrat AG. She's a, she's a she's what did what did Trump say? A bitter bitter angry woman or something. That, that's that's kind of how she comes off. You got to get somebody that's willing to take it. You got to find the right judge and you got to find the right issue. And then there's follow up. Right, because she's not going to hire these people, and that's when I think it opens up the door for a mandamus lawsuit for them to start following the law. And okay. remember, mandamus is that principle that, hey, government, you're not following the law. We're asking for the, the court to issue a mandamus to tell you to follow the law. My thinking is that the people that are trained and get the election experience in 2021, in the primary and in the general, they're going to be in a position to be promoted for 2022. Now, Winfrey won't. Now, all I'm hearing really is that these white men are upset because the system is operating the way it should. And thus he's afraid, and just they're afraid in this thought that something's being taken from them. As though they are entitled to be in control of every part of leadership and really decide on what they consider to be democratic and right for our nation. Is that your read too, Dina? <laughs> you know, I love what he had to say about bitter, angry women. If we could only be bitter angry women because when you take away our you know right to vote we will stand up as women you know i as a lawyer have volunteered actually for voter protection you know i did in the last cycle and there's a lot of lawyers that volunteered for the dnc and 
you don't have to be a lawyer to volunteer as a voter protection person. You could be a poll worker, you could be a poll observer, you can call people and help them be informed of their right to vote. And it was actually overwhelmingly women that I volunteered with. And we were fired up to inform people and protect people of their right to vote, the most sacred thing we have. Here's the good thing is the RNC can make all these plans, but the elections are hyper local. Each county has their own rules, they have their own elected officials, they have their own observers, they have their own workers. So I think that we should start saying not only do we each have to vote, but how about we start volunteering and we're busy, but you know what? You don't even have to do that much. But if we all give a little bit, because the reason why this is so bad is because sure, great, let the RNC bring volunteers, the DNC brings volunteers also. But they're the ones who said that the election was stolen. We don't want them in charge of our elections. And this is actually an issue that we can do something about. You know, Gun control in the first story, we can feel very hopeless because there is such a stalemate in Congress. But each one of us can volunteer in some little way and let them you know, face this army of people who do believe in elections and do believe our right to vote is important. And we get to just show up and make phone calls as little or as much as we want. And we can make a difference in our own local election. And that's where it actually counts. Absolutely, and using our voice, using our resources. Um, likewise, I've been a poll worker for several years, uh, as well as when I worked at the US Attorney's Office and the Civil Rights Unit on election day, I would sit available. And so when people would run into issues uh, at uh, polling stations and places, they'd call and report them and I'd counsel them through it or be able to take a note and then maybe we'd proceed with prosecution or investigation. Uh, there are so many avenues, but it's so incredibly important to protect communities like the Detroit area where they vote Democrat at more than 90% of the time. So when you have these GOP trying to infiltrate this and use their powers of persuasion to discourage people from voting Democrat, it's a problem. And you know, as much as they're saying that they aren't trying to make it more difficult for people to vote, check out the slide here. It was presented during Seafried's training sessions and essentially says that the RNC's goal is to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Although that is clearly not the case as we know that few people have been found to actually be committing voter fraud unless they were members of the GOP. But they're also members of all sorts of nonsense online, particularly when it comes to this whole Star Wars situation. And right now, when it comes to the franchise, it is busy defending one of its actors in the new Obi-Wan Kenobi film. And in the series, well, what we have is a black woman who's been brought in. And of course, it brought the racist out. On Monday, actress Moses Ingram shared screenshots from the hundreds of racist and hurtful messages that she received for her role in a series of Instagram stories. Here are some of those messages here. Your days are numbered, you're not the first N-word in Star Wars, fool. You sucker loser, you're a diversity hire, you won't be loved or remembered for this acting role. These flood of hate that comes in a fictional storyline. We've seen this way too many times where white people get all up in arms when there are um, there are individuals who are cast and they are of color and they're taking on roles in these major blockbusters. It's ridiculous. And Ingram, she spoke out about these messages recently. 
Long story short, um, there are hundreds of those. Hundreds. But I think the thing that bothers me is that, like, sort of this feeling that I've had inside of myself, which no one has told me, but this feeling of, like, I just got to shut up and take it. You know, I just kind of got to bear it. Um, and I'm not built like that. So... <laughs> I really just wanted to come on, I think, and say thank you to the people who show up for me in the comments and the places that I'm not going to put myself. And um, to the rest of y'all, y'all weird. <laughs> She's absolutely right. You all are weird, weird and racist. Like it's just, I can't even help you. But one thing I can do is thank her co-stars for stepping up and stepping in. Uh, Ewan McGregor, he would end up coming to her defense in this video. Check this out. It seems that some of the fan base from this influential fan base have decided to attack Moses Ingram online and send her the most horrendous racist DMs. And I heard some of them this morning and it just broke my heart. Moses is a brilliant actor. She's a brilliant woman. And she's absolutely amazing in this series. She brings so much to the series. She brings so much to the franchise. And it just sickened me to my stomach to hear that this had been happening. I just want to say as the leading actor in the series, as the executive producer in the series, that we stand with Moses. We love Moses. And if you're sending her bullying messages, you're no Star Wars fan in my mind. There's no place for racism in this world. And... Uh, I totally stand with Moses. Yes, and Moses shouldn't stand alone. And I'm glad that she's not. Another co-star, O'Shea Jackson, would tweet. Uh, probably kills them that James Earl Jones is Darth Vader. They're gonna love finding out what my character does. Also, Disney Lucasfilm stepped up, tweeting about how they are so proud to have Ingram be part of this film series. And the reality is that too often do black women and people of color, and particularly women of color, face this kind of just racist, sexist outbursts and just um, cries and disputes from individuals who feel that they shouldn't be there. And yet oftentimes these people will say they're not racist, they're not sexist, but clearly they are showing us that that is not the case. Uh, and Dina, I would love to hear your thoughts. I also know that the verdict is being read and that at least Johnny Depp has won on the first two counts. And okay. so um, I know you might be distracted in that regard, mm -hmm. but uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Yes, I mean, I just think it's too bad that for, you know, she's subjected to this because she happens to be talented enough to land a role in this huge movie. And that's all it is, right? I mean, she is talented enough to get this kind of spotlight and it attracts, as she said, a lot of weird people. I really liked what she had to say about people being in her corner. Um, people should continue to do that because she shouldn't have to respond to those uh, comments. It's just social media hate, but it's good that other people are doing it for her. Absolutely, and I'm really glad people are speaking up. We will go ahead and just kind of talk about this. We only have a few minutes left anyways. But with this news that the jury is ruling in favor of Johnny Depp and his libel suit against his ex-wife Amber Heard. I don't necessarily know the numbers yet. If we spoke earlier that he was suing for 50 million. But what are your thoughts, Dina? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought that was that was you could see my prediction I put on TikTok and Twitter and it was that he was gonna lose. I thought for sure she was, I mean, going to win. I thought for sure she was gonna lose because she didn't show malice. It's possible they both could have, but I think that it really, Amber Heard on the cross really showed to be a liar. And so I think the jury got this right. Um, you know what, and uh, as an attorney, and I know I do a lot of advocacy for gender parity, equity. Um, I, I I agree with you in terms of she lost the suit without a doubt. And she didn't just lose it because I do believe that there was uh, definitely indicia of some kind of online campaign against her. Whoever orchestrated it, I don't know. But when it came to veracity and interpreting, it just, it was not a win-win situation in any form or fashion. Also too, it did not go in her favor when it come to find out that it went her donation to the ALCU. I believe that was the organization where she didn't make the donation. Donation, where only just a small portion of it, yet she was out here in public touting that um, as though she was going to be donating millions of dollars from her divorce settlement to this entity to help out others. And I think that that, uh, finding out that that was a falsehood was extraordinarily damning for her. Um, and I know, you know, Me Too has been a very, uh, an important movement and an important part of our society, and it is. And a lot of individuals are out there are very concerned that this verdict is going to find a way to silence women. Uh, because I think often, or a lot of people didn't necessarily think that Johnny Depp was free and clear and innocent of his behavior. They read various text messages that were just, uh, not okay in terms of things you'd say to a partner or a spouse or anyone as far as I'm concerned. At the same time, we do have to realize that this will probably have an impact on women being able to speak up um, and feeling comfortable in speaking up as the vast majority of individuals who face domestic violence and abuse are women. Uh, but you know, this was a court case, it's about who could win, who had the best legal arguments and the strength. And it definitely was Johnny Depp and his legal team. And so Dina, I know you are going to be covering this um, for what's a Hollywood reporter or one of the major outlets. And so if people wanna follow you and get more information from you, where should they go? Okay, so I'm Ask Dina Dahl on TikTok and Twitter. And I, this should not affect the Me Too movement. There was nobody else but her that came out. In fact, his past relationship said otherwise. This should be only seen as an allegation between the two of them. And by photographic evidence, it really showed she lied. So I think this should be less about survivors speaking out, but more about false allegations and how those should be corrected. I really think they should be seen in this prism, this lawsuit. I, you know, and I agree. I would, I would like it to be seen that way, but it's not within the scope of framework of anything. And also, the fact that others from past relationships don't speak out—that does not mean that the individual was not abusive. It's just a matter of this is how our system is set up and the weight of the evidence. But we cannot, we can't separate this from the movement and women feeling comfortable coming forward and speaking out and it will silence voices. Um, and that's, uh, it's unfortunate, um, uh, this is our system and we have to push for change and so many things need to be changed. And I wanna thank you all for sticking with us today. I know you miss Dr. Richie um, and hopefully he will be back soon. In the meantime, you may see more of my smiling face. But if you do want to hear my words or read them at least, you can check me out on Twitter at Adrian Law or on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence.